Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Welcome to episode number 156 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Mark McEvely and I, Matt Jessup, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of the financial markets and financial planning. This week, I'll be hosting the podcast solo as we have a special guest with us, Jennifer Almany. Jennifer Almany founded Almany Educational Consulting to help students identify and expand their knowledge of colleges that are a good fit and make smart, educated choices to reach their full potential. Jennifer, thank you for joining me this week. Thanks for having me, Matt. That's going to be a great episode. And this will be one that people reference as time goes on, as they have kids and grandkids That's right. heading into college. It'll be a great one. Uh, before I begin, I'm going to take about 10, 15 minutes. I'm going to discuss pricing, headlines of the week, a couple pieces of research that caught my eye, and then I'm just going to give uh, my own update, Jennifer, on kind of what I'm seeing in the markets. I know some of the viewers want to hear that. And then we'll turn it over to our interview of that you. That sounds great. So um, actually, I'm going to dig right into headlines and current events uh, to save a little time. So starting off with the uh, headlines of last week, what was very interesting is last week was a very good week uh, for the stock market. Last week kind of turned a coin where it turned out that bad news was actually good for the economy. So there were signs that inflation might be moderating as growth cooled and it helped stocks rally sharply over the holiday shortened week, lifting the S&P out of bear market territory. Nearly every sector in the index last week recorded strong gains outside of energy. Now, I'll be talking a little bit, listeners and viewers, about you know, what's been happening this week and kind of my updated outlook here in a little bit, as I mentioned earlier. Headline number two that caught my eye. Data is indicating that consumers are stabilizing their inflation expectations as confidence in their finances reached new lows. The University of Michigan's final reading of June consumer sentiment was revised down to 50 last week, its lowest level in records dating back over the last four decades. The report also showed that consumers expect inflation to rise at an annualized rate of 5.3% for the second month in a row below forecast and the peak rate of 5.4% recorded in March and April. Consumers' five-year inflation expectations rose slightly to 3.1%, and that was somewhat below consensus expectations. Since August, expectations have remained within a range of about 3%. So definitely concerning on the consumer sentiment side, and that would lead me to believe that we're going to have a technical recession uh, being reported at the end of July, which I'll talk about in a second. Third and final headline that caught my eye, which I find important, is the Federal Reserve Board on Thursday projected the potential for a rockier road ahead for banks than it did a year ago, and said that the 33 financial institutions that it considered systematically important to the financial system have all passed their annual stress test of capital reserves. The Fed estimated that $612 billion in potential losses for banks in its most severe economic scenario and said even if this comes to pass, banks would still be healthy enough to provide loans to homes and businesses to keep the economy afloat. That's a $50 billion more severe loss projection than a year ago. And one thing I found really interesting is the Fed's model for this included an uh, increase in unemployment to 10% a 40% decline in commercial real estate prices, 
and a 55% drop in stock prices. So a pretty severe uh, stress test by the Federal Reserve and all of the largest 33 banks passed, which was interesting. Next, I'm going to transition to uh, articles and research that caught my eye this week. This first one that I saw, Jennifer, was really, really interesting to me. It shows a chart looking back in history to the worst beginnings of the stock market in the first roughly 116 trading days of the year from when this was published about a week ago. And the amazing part is we have the second worst start for the stock market um, going back in history for the S&P. And the thing that caught my eye about this chart that I wanted to share with our listeners and viewers is what tends to happen the rest of that year. And statistically speaking, uh, the rest of the year tends to be very, very good for the markets. And so, for example, in 1932, the market was down 40% in the first 116 trading days. And the final part of the year, it rallied 43%. In 62, it started down 21, rallied 13 to end the year. So I know Jenna's going to put this chart up on our show notes as well as for our viewers on YouTube. So you can see this right now as I speak. Again, things seem pretty bad right now. But when you kind of look at history, things uh, tend to kind of turn up in the second half of the year. Though I think the year to me, Jenna, that looked the most similar was 1970 on this one. So 1970, we were down similar year to date, similar inflationary environment. So I found that one, uh, in my opinion, having more of a correlation. Next piece that caught my eye is retail investors seem to be throwing in the towel. We're getting some data, and Jenna will also put this chart up for our viewers on YouTube, that we're seeing signs of what I would call capitulation from retail investors. The source on this data on this one specifically is JP Morgan. And it shows the weekly inflows or outflows of money by retail investors. In this past week, we saw the heaviest week of retail selling since September of 2020. Why do I think this is a good thing specifically? Ultimately, in my opinion, you're going to need to see capitulation for the market to find a true bottom. And this is a good segue, Jenna, for me to kind of talk about my commentary on the markets. So before we start interviewing Jennifer, my two cents is there's a good chance that things over the short term could definitely get worse before they get better. But I definitely think we're kind of near the end of a lot of the selling pressure that you're seeing right now in the markets. And I think you could see an ultimate bottom, in my opinion, late summer, early fall. So again, we're, we're kind of <clears throat> almost through. I think the market is pricing in a lot of this risk uh, that everyone's talking about. So now I'm going to transition to our guest, uh, Jennifer Almany. Um, Jennifer has over 25 years of experience as an educator and a consultant. She received her bachelor's in education from Vanderbilt University and began her teaching career in the Upper Arlington City Schools in Columbus, while also receiving her master's in education from The Ohio State University. She then moved to Dayton and taught in the Oakwood City Schools as both a classroom teacher and a consultant for the Oakwood Schools, training teachers on how to teach reading to young children. Jennifer also received her certificate in independent educational consulting from the University of California, Irvine, and immediately began her college consulting business in 2020. 
She's a member of several national professional organizations, including Independent Educational Consultants Association, Higher Education Consultants Association, and the Ohio Association of College Admissions uh, Counseling. Jennifer, welcome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. You have an impressive background. You have an impressive background. Thank you. So before I start the interview, I would like to explain why I wanted to have you on the podcast. You know, pretty simply put, you know, the college selection and application process is very overwhelming for a lot of families. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that there's a lot of misunderstood aspects and I'm hoping with your visit today to Jessup Wealth Management, we can gain some clarity on these topics. I think you're right, and thanks for having me. This is gonna be great. So let's dig in. Can you begin by describing your day-to-day -day as an educational consultant? What do you do day-to-day? -day? Sure, so I really work with families. Often my clients are freshmen in high school or sophomores. I began with them early. Yes. And I work with families on an individual basis in all aspects of their high school education, as well as all the way through their college applications. Okay. So we are doing things like charting the best courses to take throughout high school based on end result mm -hmm. and what we want, um, you know, what that student wants to do later in life, what are the best high school courses to take. We're looking at summer opportunities, extracurricular activities, um, all kinds of things where kids can get involved and maybe experience something that they um, would help them gain a larger understanding about something they want to study later. Yep. All the way through um, working on the college applications, starting with a great college list and the last essay, we work through that. And there's so. so many moving parts to what you that's do. Right. Right. And I think the thing that I'm excited about this interview as we go through it, I know you're going to break down some of these parts and these different kind of timelines and the evolution of someone's child or grandchild. It's just it's still at times it's overwhelming. Absolutely. And there are things that I do with families, like for instance, which specifically why we sort of came together on this was the financial aspect of college. Sure. People can often look at sticker shock in a college, uh, private institution in particular, and say, how in the world could we spend $300,000 per child um, on on their education so and I the can, parents still retire when they want to absolutely and so i help families compare costs compare location of the schools compare curriculums and i help them weed through all of those aspects and financially which we can talk about in a little bit as well um what are the best decisions yeah, I mean, I kind of look at it from the aspect of someone could spend, you know, the money that they spend on a consultant like you, they could get a dramatic return on that with the decisions that you assist them in making. So this is a slam dunk for me. Absolutely. And um, not only do they often get a return in their investment, but they get a, a little bit of their day to day stress relieved, <laughs> relieved because it is an overwhelming process. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. So what are some of the current trends you're seeing right now 
in college admissions? Let's start there. Well, I think one of the most confusing parts that COVID has the result of, of the last few years really is in college admissions. And it's very confusing for families. Um, test optional. We hear this all the time. Do does my child need to take the ACT or the SAT? Mm -hmm. if, if, if these schools are test optional, what does that mean? Well, um, it means you still need to take the test if you can take the <laughs> test. And as confusing as that is, if you can test, you need to test. And if you can take the test again and improve your score, that's a great thing. These schools are saying test optional, but data is showing us that kids with strong test scores are faring better in the application process. So I can help students look at their list, we can look at their test scores and say, okay, we're, we're sending test scores to this school, we're not sending test scores to this school. Makes sense. You know, and we wade through all that. So that's a huge trend and one that's, I find most confusing for families. Well, where that really comes into play is it's an art, not a science. And they really need a consultant like you to help them look at that landscape. You know that landscape and you can sit there and say, hey, here's your wish list of schools. Here's how we need to approach them differently. Well, absolutely. And um, the interesting Another trend that I think plays into that is that applications are massively on the rise. Um, colleges are businesses. Yes. They exist as a business. Yes. So they love the fact that their applications are up 45%. That's right. And that means that they can admit fewer people. Absolutely. And that means that their admit rate goes down. Yes. And that makes them more prestigious. Yes. That's what people feel or the people acceptance think. acceptance rate, you know. Our acceptance rate's 9%. So we're a more prestigious school, which at the end, that doesn't equate to prestige. That's right. Um, and so with applications on the rise, I think I put on my, um, on my Instagram this week, this is an astounding fact. Tulane University. Yes. Has 1,800 kids per class. Okay. That's what their class size, size is. is. They accepted 106 of those students in regular decision. That's it? All other students were accepted during the early decision round. So if you didn't apply early decision, your chance of getting into Tulane this past year was around 1%. Oh my gosh. It didn't make sense. And that's what these schools are doing. They're trying to lock you in early. their class early. And see, they this want, is the type of knowledge yeah. why someone needs yeah. you. Yeah, because it's people don't stunning. know this. It's stunning. And so that those applications on the rise is a, it's another huge trend. Um, and so you've got to really be careful with the, where you apply, how many schools you apply to. Okay. Um, state flagship schools like Ohio State, the Ohio State. Yes. Um, state flagship applications are on the rise. Um, it's a trickle-down effect. So let's say you've got a student that's applying to 10 or 12 schools, but maybe they don't have a very balanced list, and maybe they're only applying to those top 20 U.S. News and World Report schools. Yes. And let's say they don't get into any of those schools. Yes. What's going to happen? They're going to get into Ohio State. And so the trickle down is better test scores, better grades. These are the students getting into the state flagships. Yes. So what happens? These other students aren't getting in. 
And so it's a trickle down. So that's why you have to be super careful with the list of schools where your student applies. Um, So you've got to keep having that conservative mix of schools. um, And that's a really important part. So I would say those are the biggest trends that we must take into account as um, we're looking at applications. Yeah, and as I was kind of thinking about, you know, um, our interview, one, one of the questions that I know is probably on a lot of people's minds, uh, and, I'm, and you can answer this later if you think it's more appropriate, you know, my mom or dad went to XYZ school, so it should be a slam dunk that I end up getting into XYZ school, and I think that that landscape has changed. Absolutely, it's called a legacy. Okay. And legacies, um, certainly used to play a larger role in college admissions. Yes. Um, and these schools are coming out now saying, you know, no, it doesn't we can't do that. We have too a... many alumni. We can't just guarantee only legacies yes. for um, our admission. And so it really doesn't hold the weight it, it used, used to hold. To hold. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the next question I've uh, prepared? Can you tell us the different types of financial aid sure. in the college admissions process? This is a very... For parents and grandparents who don't deal with this stuff every day, this is very overwhelming. It's very overwhelming. And so what we have to do is realize that there are two pots of money. Okay. The first is need-based aid. Need-based aid. That's federal money. Families that they fill out, you fill out what's called the FAFSA. Yes. In the fall of your child's senior year. Yes. And that is going to let you know if you qualify. And I can tell you right now that if your family has a total income or assets that are greater than somewhere between $80,000 and Mm -hmm. $100,000, you will not qualify for need-based aid. And with today's society with a lot of dual incomes, that's no one's going to qualify. I mean, most won't. Well, there are plenty that do qualify, but it is certainly um, a factor. And so that comes from the federal government, and that is in the form of grants um, that you don't have to pay back. Okay. It could be in the form of loans. Okay. um, And that's called need-based aid. Okay. So if you're in an income bracket that's higher than $100,000 in your household. Yes. You're then looking at what we call merit aid. Okay. Okay. Merit aid is an academic award. So many schools um, have charts right on their websites that say if your child has this GPA um, and this test score, then you're going to get a eleven an eleven thousand dollar discount to our school. This would be your cost to go to our school. Interesting. And they put that stuff right on their websites. Some Some do, do. some do. Others are not as transparent, but um, that takes into your account your GPA, your test scores often if if you've sent them. Okay. Um, So that's merit aid. Most private colleges, you can never look at the sticker cost of a private college and think that's what you're going to pay. That's a very big point right there. You often get merit aid, depending on your depending on your bracket of income. So but do you think it's a situation, Jennifer, where parents see those headline sticker costs and immediately throw it out the door because they think 
my family, we cannot afford that. Oh, absolutely. And they don't realize there is a huge list of around 140 colleges in the United States that offer amazing merit aid right here in our own town. University of Dayton is amazing merit aid. That's phenomenal. Butler um, in Indianapolis, um, College of Worcester, that's another school in Ohio. All great um, colleges. Center in Kentucky. These schools are private schools that offer amazing merit aid. So that's a really important fact. In addition to the merit aid, the best place or a couple places that are the best to look for scholarships. Yeah. The first is the institution themselves. So schools where you're applying have institutional scholarships okay and you have a much greater chance of getting those scholarships than you would a national scholarship where 25,000 students are, are applying, applying. The next place are local foundations. I know here in Dayton, we have a Dayton Foundation. Correct. If you live in Oakwood, there's an Oakwood Schools Foundation. Yes. All of those foundations actually have scholarships that they offer. Excellent point. So those are great places to look. So that those pots of money are there. Um, in addition, you can send letters once you've received an acceptance. And if you've received a financial award, you know, your... Um, let's see, the FAFSA this year, we're in 2022, will be the 2020 tax returns, I believe. Yes. Um, if you've had, let's say in 2021, you've had a large change in, in your, your income. income. You've got to fill out the FAFSA based on your 2020. No matter what. I no get matter it. what. Yep. But you can then petition to the financial aid aid um, divisions yes. of these schools to get a greater award and for them to reevaluate based on new information. This is why the cost of someone like you is, in my opinion, extremely well worth all of this knowledge that you have. Right. And how to write those letters and what do you do and who do you write them to and who writes the letters? And, um, and advising the parents and the students. Right? This is where you kind of apply for uh, for aid and scholarships right. and so all families have different needs right and different students some students come and say listen I need the most merit aid in undergraduate I want to go to med school and my parents um, can't pay for all of those years of schooling and right you'll help navigate that road right towards that path so it's often better to go to a school where you can get the most merit aid in your undergraduate. Undergrad knowing that you don't want to come out of med school with half a million dollars, dollars of debt. debt. Yeah. You know? No, this, this, uh, this interview is, is going to be gold for us. And I, I just, I love all your knowledge in this. So what do you think parents should know about what's important in high school for the college admission process? Let's go there next. Well, the first thing is that you never want to push a student to do things just for a resume. One of the most important things that I think I can bring is, no, let's take the student where they are. Yes. And let's add to those experiences that they're interested in. I would agree. I mean, as an outsider, I mean, I don't have kids that are in high school yet, Jennifer. And obviously, if they have a passion for something, have them go that way. Right. And it's not about the amount of extracurriculars, the sheer volume. It's about the quality. It's not it's quality over quantity. That's a great insight. 
And so looking at extracurriculars, certainly kids need to be involved. Maybe their passion is theater. Maybe their passion is music. Maybe they're really into sports. And those things are great. Keep kids involved in an in-depth way to those activities. But then you want to look outside of your high school. You want to look into your community. You want to see, okay, are there volunteering opportunities in areas that I'm interested in? Yeah. Maybe I'm interested in being a financial planner one day. That's right. So what does that look like? Are there opportunities for me to gain knowledge and insight into that area? Yes. So that I can show no, I really am interested in being a financial planner, and this is why. I've investigated it. I've spent time on it. Yep. So those are areas that I can help with that. So extracurriculars, obviously, is a huge, important part. Um, grades are obviously important. But my clients, I have clients with a 2-5 all the way up to your high flyers because That's everyone needs too. help. That's everyone needs help. Too. There is a college for everyone. Absolutely. And going back to your comment about, you know, people, you know, showing their passion and use the example of financial planning. I had an intern a couple of years ago. He was going between high school to college that summer. He interned here. And I think the perception is you can only intern when you're, you know, a junior or senior in college. Not true. It's not true because not true. they're all kinds of experiences students can have. Um, and I have students, you know, that want to go into nursing. And so what are those experiences? Um, myself, I mean, we have four kids. Yeah. And um, they vary in, they range in what they... Interest. Um, interest and in what they want to do. They're all four very different. Um, so that's important to really deepen their interests in areas that are meaningful to them. And that is extremely important. So then obviously grades. So like I said, I have kids with a two five all the way up to a four five. Um, so you have to take kids where they are. Yep. And colleges will look at their transcripts. So what um, types of classes do they take? Do they take honors classes? Do they take AP classes? Are they just in your regular um classes and all of those areas you know are important for parents to know um, one of the tips that I like to say about classes that I don't think parents realize one of the most important classes that you need to take minimally three years of is a foreign language interesting colleges want well-rounded students minimum three there are schools California schools in particular they don't even want to look at your application if you haven't had three years. Interesting. And so you need to keep that foreign language up. You need to minimally get to a Spanish three or a French three, but better yet, get to Spanish four or French four or um, sign language. You can take American sign language. Um, there are kids taking Latin still. Some schools still offer Latin. Whatever your foreign language is, stick with it so this brings uh, an important question i want to throw out there in your optimal world when would you start interacting with a family for the parents and the student if it were in your perfect world when would that be the best time for me to start with the family is a freshman year of a student because you need to make sure that their class choices reflect their goals later yes even if the student is doesn't know their goals and their 
you know, 13 years old and they have no clue. Yes. The parents often have ideas and thoughts about the types of path. schools. So we need to get that path going. Math is a really important path. What does that look like? Where, where are they starting with their math and their foreign language? Those are two of the most important areas that you need to, to view. It's kind of important for kids to get to calculus okay. by senior year. So you've got to figure out how to how, do that. How to get there. The other thing I wanted to kind of make a point about when you were speaking was in <clears throat> regards to the GPA range. And as you know, an outsider to what you do day to day, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I fear a perception could be people only require consultants like yourself if their students are 4.0 plus, right? And they're in the ultra competitive situation that they want to get into their wish list of colleges. Is that obviously part of what you do? Obviously so. But for you know parents and students that don't have that 4.0, you still add such a tremendous amount of value. So I just want to kind of just no, that's as an outsider, I want to throw that true. point out there. Everyone can go to college. Yes. What are the colleges and where are the colleges that are best for each student? That's right. I have I actually have clients all over the United States. So I have clients in Colorado and North Carolina and Illinois and certainly plenty of clients in Ohio, but I see students across the whole United States. Yes. Um, this job is a wonder in virtual. Um, Zoom is a is a wonderful thing. Absolutely. And so you can you can service kids and families all over the United States. So knowing that and looking at kids from everywhere, that GPA it's sort of like you're dealing with what comes to you. So may, may have a two five, that's okay. Where are the schools and what, how can you present an application of a student that has a two five? Yeah. What is that? What does their story look like? I love it. I love it. This is why I think, uh, you know, parents and grandparents need to definitely hear this podcast. So I got a couple more questions. Yeah. So um, let's kind of switch gears. Do you have some parent tips uh, for heading into the fall of a senior year? This is an important one, I think. Absolutely. So I can't stress enough to use summer. I have, um, I basically work with 20 I limit my client base to 20 kids per graduating class. Per, per graduating per class. Per graduating class. So over the over the years. So yes. my class of 2023 has 20 kids. Okay. And although I have great relationships with them, I think they, at this point, where I've got due dates for common application and writing their personal statement, and they they're, it's like, wait, this is summer. That's exactly right. And I can't tell you the kids that get to school when it starts in the fall and they're talking to kids who have not done a single thing for an application and my kids' applications are done. Love it. And so the using of the summer is huge. It is a misnomer to think you have lots of time. Most schools you really need to apply no later than November 1st, oftentimes. Yes. Well, that comes up very, very quickly. And you talked about the early application process and how some schools like Tulane are going to be completely full if they wait too long. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you've got schools that are rolling admissions, which means they admit on a rolling basis. Um, so the earlier you apply to those schools, the better. Yep. 
you've got schools that don't release their um that you might be applying to early action so maybe you can hear in january instead of march so you have to weigh all of that so using the summer is really important and then two other tips that i have one is have a weekly meeting with your senior all right this is a good one so my husband and i actually have a senior coming up i have a class of 2023 all right kids do not want to hear every single day have you worked on your essay what have you done are you doing this so we set aside about an hour on a sunday night to say okay what are our deadlines this week what college visits are we going on when are we going what does this look like so then you don't have to nag them all week you kind of get on the same page love this idea that's a great that's a great tip and then last you truly cannot let up your senior year you know i i hate to always be the bearer of bad news with my students who say listen I've taken the three years minimum of social studies that the state of Ohio requires. (laughs) Why do I need to take social studies my senior year? And I always say, I'm so sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but you are going to have four (laughs) years across all of your curricular areas. You know, that's just part of life lessons, Jennifer. I love it. It is. So they'll, and they always, they know it and they always say, okay. Okay. I love this. This is a great interview. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's another one. And this, um, you know, why should parents not put all their trust in the U.S. News College rankings? This is a hot topic, and I'd love to hear your feedback on this. It is a hot topic. We could have an entire podcast on the U.S. News rankings. Oh, I bet. um, And how, um, how they approach that. I will say... I can tell you another podcast that has a very two series. If you ever have listened to Revisionist History uh-uh. with Malcolm Gladwell, no, I'm gonna check it out. It's a really interesting podcast Malcolm, on a of range course. of topics. Yeah, but in season six, maybe I think um, in Revisionist History does a two part series on the U.S. News rankings. Interesting, and they try to game the system, of which they can. You can. To get your numbers up. To it Absolutely. So I'd like to say you could listen to both of those episodes, which are each an hour long, just on this topic. So that's the first thing. It's very complicated. Um, the biggest thing with U.S. News is that they do, there are several reasons as to why you shouldn't put all your trust in them. Yes. Do they have some validity? I mean, are the schools excellent schools that they're listing. Of course they are. But then the problem is they're, it's what they're not listing. The schools they're not listing that are amazing schools. There it is right there. So their emphasis is on academic rigor. It's on input, not output. They really don't measure how happy a student is at a school and the student experience. Which is a dramatic. Which is huge to the success of a student. There was a study uh, by Stanford in 2018 that looked at the success of students after college. Was it the name of your college institution that made you successful after college? In every single case but one, and I'll give you that caveat in a minute, that was not the factor. It did not matter the name of your college institution, and it did not show your success. What mattered was how involved was the student within the institution where they attended? There it is. Did they do research? Were they involved with clubs? Did they interact with professors? 
Those were the things that could indicate success after college. The caveat that I will give you is in one scenario, yes. the name of the college did matter. Okay. It was first generation, which means a student who has not had parents to attend or finish college. So that's a first generation student. Okay. If they're the first in their family to be attending college and gra- yep. and low income at the same time. So first generation low income did benefit from a bump in say going to an Ivy or going to a Hopkins or going interesting that did bump. But the rest of the Stanford study shows that it's the student experience over the name of the institution. Well, that's not what the U S news and world report rankings can show. That's right. So you've got to keep that in mind. Um, the other thing is obviously prestige is weighed upon very heavily on those rankings. You may not know this, but college presidents vote. One of the, the factors in those rankings is the, the vote of a college president. They're voting for who are the top five schools in biomedical engineering. Interesting. Well, what if that president has served, they're in their third or fourth school. They'll vote for the prior ones school. that sure. they were a part of. Absolutely. So you have to in my keep industry. That in mind. We call it talking your book. When everyone goes on TV, no. they're obviously talking how they're positioned. Absolutely. Yes. And so that's a huge factor. Private schools always rank higher than public because they can have a smaller class size. They are more selective. So they're going to rank higher because all of those, we call it yield, uh, you know, Tulane, they let in, in essence, 1,700 out of 1,800 kids. So that means their yield, the amount of students accepting their spots is very high. Is huge. Well, that's a percentage that goes yeah, into like that. You get, you get a yes, you're going to go there pretty sure. much. And so the data is flawed. And do some schools put faulty data in. Yeah, they do. Interesting. So you cannot, you know, if I, if I, if I had a, a dollar for every student that came to me and I said, name 10 schools that you know about, or you're interested in nine of the 10 will be top 25 schools from the U S news and world rankings. Cause that's all they've ever heard. One may be a state flagship yeah. Depending on your state, yeah. they may say Ohio State, or Michigan, they may say Boulder, or Colorado, or wherever, wherever they're, they're located. But yeah. nine out of 10 are ranking schools. So my goal is to introduce them to new colleges, new curriculum areas, all of those. And I'm sure the things. eye-opening experience comes if they ever visit some of those not in that top 25. Right. I have a student um, that graduated this past year that's headed to University of Missouri, going to Mizzou. And the mom said, do you know we would have never known? We would have never looked at Mizzou. And it was the perfect fit for their son. That's awesome. And, but that's they wouldn't have Gerardo, known. That's in Cape Girardeau, isn't it? Columbia, Columbia, Missouri. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know we talked a lot about, you know, what you do the services that you provide clients, I think it'd be smart. Let's just do a recap. And I could probably do the recap for you, but I would not do you justice. So why would someone use 
an independent age educational consultant. Will you just recap for our viewers and listeners? Yeah, and certainly I offer a value in terms of offering. Um, there are ind independent consultants that work in groups. They bring kids in in groups. I do not. I work individually with families, so it's very personalized process. Okay. Um, I have a student right now that has to have ultimate frisbee. That has to be on the and list. That has to be on the list. So I That's can awesome help with though. that process. That is awesome though. Um, That's a passion. That's it a passion. is a passion. Um, I will tell you, I think my biggest value is that I am a middleman. It is stressful to go through this process. I certainly offer a um, peacekeeping opportunity between parents? parents and students. <laughs> There are many, many times that parents may be saying what I'm saying, but the student does not want to hear it until I say it. Well, in, you know, you're an amazing mother yourself, and it's just <laughs> great that you can kind of bridge that gap. I could see how that within itself is worth is worth what you charge. It is stressful. Um, and so I keep that stress as low as as we can. But that middleman, you know, parents can feed me information and say, listen, Johnny is um, really not wanting to visit these schools. And they're and they know ex as soon as they come to me, what am I going to say? Listen, Johnny, you have to visit. This is this is a and part of the process. Why. And they say, OK, yeah. And they don't argue with me. They might behind their backs. They may say to their parents. Oh. <laughs> but I think that's one of the biggest values. And the second of the largest is keeping things in manageable chunks. There it is. Not getting that's ahead the, of yourself. Yep. So I work very, um, for instance, with my rising juniors. That's class of 2024 right now. We're doing all their personality and strength testing. We're looking at their career interests. What do they want to major in? And we're building that college list. Yes. Whereas my class of 2023, we're doing parts of the common application. So it's a manageable chunks. Don't get ahead of yourself. And that will keep the stress down. But the goal is moving into that fall of senior year in a really good position and it will alleviate so much stress within the family unit and within the students themselves. So I think those are the biggest values. And of course, as you've heard today, I can keep up with the trends and who is test optional, who is not test optional, who's test blind, who is not, yeah. where do I, you know, what do I do and what is this part of the application? So, um, that those are the greatest values I think that I offer families. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, here's what I'd like to do. I want to share your website and I'm going to start by saying you can get more information on Jennifer Almany's services on her website, which is almanyeducationalconsulting.com. That's right. In addition, um, for our firm and our client base, uh, we're going to be holding uh, an event here coming up in September. Yeah. I'm going to be promoting that uh, on the podcast uh, coming up in July and August a couple different times. If people have an interest, they can reach out to Jenna at our firm. She's our director of marketing, and they can get um, them on the list if they wish to attend that event, which I'm very excited about. So as we wrap up, Jennifer, I know your time is extremely valuable. I love what you do now, your passion, and the families and the students that you impact the rest of their lives. I can't thank you enough for sharing your feedback and your knowledge today. Thank Thanks you. so much, Matt, for having me. I'm looking forward to September. You're a rock star. So uh, listeners and viewers, thank you for being a part of episode 156 of the Independent Advisors podcast. 
We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And uh, Mark and I will be back next week on Thursday for episode 157. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of The Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.